This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From Sand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 296. Today, we are prepping for the season with our good buddy, Greg Litzinger, and answering your questions. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine here in the dog days of summer as hunting season for some of us is is rapidly approaching. I'm like 
uh, I don't know what today's date is, like the 12th, 13th, something like something like that. I'm, I'm like two weeks out from jumping on a plane and, and, and heading to uh, Idaho, which I'm pretty stoked about. And uh, what I'm even more stoked about is that I've managed, I feel like I'm kind of 90% back from all the injuries that I had over the past, what <laughs> feels like an injury a week for the past month and a half. So I've been able to kind of get back to my normal kind of training regimen, back to the jujitsu gym, rolling live, getting good cardio while I'm there. Um, it's been Africa hot, so it's been like 105 degrees in the gym and just feels like you're walking into a swamp because there's Muay Thai right before we get there. So it's already nice and sweaty. And uh, so that's great cardio. And it was have been able to kind of get back to doing some rucking. So I did a ruck last week, did one uh, this past weekend. Uh, threw 50 pounds on my back and was able to kind of get into the timber and, and get through some elevation over some rocks some down logs and trying to, uh, you know, mimic what it might be like whenever I get to Idaho. Of course, not going to be able to mimic the elevation change and stuff like that. That's a foregone conclusion. So there's going to be a, an adapt, uh, an, a period of uh, adapting when I get there. Um, I can do as much as I want, you know, while I'm here, but it's, you know, it's not the same. So, and I know that, you know, of course been out West before. So kind of recognize that you just take her, take her easy was picking up kind of like the last few things for the trip. It's always like, you know, you just forget like little things that pop up along the way. It's like, I'm going through all my gear, kind of checking my gear list and stuff like that. And I'm like, Oh man, I only have like one really good light pair of Merino socks. Everything I have is for like, you know, for the most part for bow hunting whitetails under it gets colder. I'm like, that's not going to cut it. So I had to get another pair of lightweight Merino kind of like hiking socks for the summer. Also realized that, uh, a lot of my base layers, you know, are synthetic, you know, um, for whatever, for whatever reason, I've got like maybe one or two that are, uh, Merino wool that I really, really like. And so I ended up picking up two more pieces of base layer gear from Sitka, um, just their core lightweight Merino wool base layer top, uh, uh, zip up and their, uh, lightweight, uh, Merino wool, um, bottom. Because, you know, when we're going out in the uh, uh, the backcountry, it's not like I'm going to be able to wash anything. And because it's going to be early season, it does have the um, – it could it could be warm. You know, just put it that way. I may, I may be hunting in uh, a short sleeve base layer uh, for a lot of the days, you know, or at least as it, as it hits midday in, in, in full sun. So had to be prepared for that so I'm not stanking. Also, if you guys haven't checked out, Sitka has dropped a few new things. Uh, the past couple of weeks, I know I made mention of it a couple of weeks ago, uh, but if you're in, if you're looking for some, some new pieces of gear, they came out with, uh, the new jet, jet stream line, which is killer. I actually have that in my pack to go to Idaho, uh, Idaho with me. And they came out with an ambient line, which is super killer. I actually have the ambient jacket, which is almost like a small, really lightweight, puffy Primalov, um, which is killer, which will be awesome for, you know, either my Idaho trip or, uh, making its way into, um, into my whitetail kit. But other than that, man, you know, back from the injuries was able to shoot my bow a good bit, uh, that, which has been nice shooting it out the distance. I, you know, I can do probably like 50 ish yards in my, uh, in my yard. Um, but I do like to stretch out, you know, if I'm going to be willing to shoot 40 to 50, you know, if I get a meadow shot, you know, in Idaho, um, you know, that's about probably the extent of the distance, but you know, it's that old saying of like shoot further than you intend to, uh, take a kill shot. So I usually try to head out to uh, my buddy's uh, archer shop out to Bob and AJ's cause they've got, you know, some distance I can kind of stretch out, uh, and an elk target that I can use. So I try to head out there and do a little bit of dialing in, um, and making sure that I'm good to go, but I feel good, man. Like I'm not gonna, 
I'm a little surprised to be honest with you. I, you know, I was feeling a little beat up for a while, but have uh, kind of feel like I'm back into the um, back into the flow of things. But with that, speaking of getting into the flow of things, uh, have my good buddy Greg Litzinger on this episode to answer listener questions and get us into the flow of whitetail season. But before I do that, I want to make mention of announced the uh, tethered saddle giveaway last week. A bunch of you already kind of submitted in our end. We're going to run it for one more week for anyone who dropped the ball last week and did not get in, involved. So if you want to get involved and be in the running for the tethered saddle giveaway, all you need to do is head to iTunes, leave a rating and a review. You know, would appreciate five stars, but you know, if you if you hate me, then you can leave leave less. Uh, it's up to you. But you have to leave a review and make sure when you leave your review that you use the name that you use on Instagram, or at least something that I can search on Instagram and find you. If you use Joe Mama five five three, and your name is not Joe Mama five five three on Instagram, I'm not going to be able to find you. If you win, I'll not be able to, to to notify you. So make sure you leave a rating and a review, and make sure you use a name I can search in Instagram. With that, we're going to do one more piece of housekeeping. As I've mentioned a couple times in the podcast the past few weeks, our buddies over at Exodus have been running the uh, Velvet Fest campaign. So from now through August 19th, it's almost over. So if you've not taken advantage of it, you're going to want to get on it. They'll have some killer prizes for anyone who's using the hashtag Velvet Fest on social media, kind of showing what you have going on, you know, in your whitetail prep for the uh, for the summer, or even just your glassing or you know camera pools or card pulls this time of year. Also, if you're in the market for a trail camera, Velvet Fest is the perfect time to get ready for the season. They'll be sending out exclusive savings through their email newsletter throughout this campaign. So you're going to want to make sure to head over to exodusoutdoorgear.com and sign up for the newsletter. But to get things started, save 20% on any multiple Exodus render or render bundle for the first 100 cameras. Use the code VELVETFEST, that's all one word, V-E-L-V-E-T-F-E-S-T, to lock in these awesome summer savings. Every single camera order comes with a random prize card. Every year, they always drop killer prizes for these. And I believe they're also including their new Exodus MMT tailored arrow. Over the last uh, seven years, Exodus has consistently shown they build quality gear that flat out works and of course the best trail camera warranty period every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty and even comes with theft and damage coverage yep half a decade you are good to go with the exodus five-year warranty but more likely you won't need it because your cameras are already built to last they also just launched as i just mentioned the exodus mmt arrow this past or this summer it's a tailored arrow built to your specifications using nothing but the highest grade components head to their website and use the 3d builder and build the best shooting arrow that is available for your specific uh, setup. I've been shooting them all summer. They're super awesome. They dialed in really quickly. It was probably the fastest tune job that I've ever had on a bow uh, using these uh, using these specific arrows. So be sure to take part in Velvet Fest and make sure to tag the Exodus guys in any of your summer shenanigans so they can see what you guys are up to. So with that, going to go ahead and jump into today's show. As I mentioned, Greg is on with me. You know, in this session, what we're really, it's, this is going to be a two-part session. So this is part one because we had quite a few questions. You guys are always awesome. Write in a bunch of questions when we do these. In this one, we're really kind of covering some discussion around wind and swamps and the difference between that and flowing water. And if we're seeing any differences with dry summers and how you might want to approach, you know, scouting, especially as you get into early season and if it stays kind of dry and hot and what that might look like. Um, some, it's just some, you know, quick preseason tips. Um, 
and then mornings versus evenings. It's always kind of a, always kind of a big one, especially when you get into uh, into early season. There's some conventional wisdom around that, but you know, Greg and I may or may not agree with that. And then we do uh, in this episode a complete gear rundown of what our setup looks like for a whitetail hunt. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. As always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And uh, today, on this episode, you are getting blessed yet again with the dulcet tones of my good buddy, Mr. Greg, bowhunting fiend. Let's the face hear. made for radio. That's right. So this is, you guys listened previously to a podcast with uh, with Greg. I think, if I don't even know how and what succession I'm going to put these out in, but it's the same day. We're, yes. we're, we're, we're still here. Gotcha. Gotcha. Psych. Greg's wearing the same clothes, same underwear. Yes. And actually, he doesn't wear underwear, which is upsetting me as he's sitting on my chair. <laughs> Old man status. <laughs> I see something creeping <laughs> out your short pants, <laughs> your short leg there, dude. It looks like, looks like a it's bag. Of, outside. Looks, like, <laughs> looks like a bag of chewing gum, man. What's going on? <laughs> And he almost spits his water all over the microphone. He's trying to hold it in. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was good. This got off on the wrong foot right yeah. away. Got dark real fast. Yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> so uh, this episode, great. Uh, I had, I had slung out there uh, a request for some questions. See if you folks have some questions that you would like to have addressed on the podcast. And thank you once again, you guys. Always kill it. Wrote in a bunch of really good questions. And uh, I always like to have someone on this with me to answer these. Sometimes it's Chad. It's usually either you or Chad. I do these Q&A sessions with. It's usually one of my good buddies that I have on here to do this with. And so today, Greg and I are going to go through your questions, get through as many of them as we possibly can. Um, I'll mention your name to give you some give you some dap. Uh, the fact that you wrote something in. Uh, we did get some duplicate ones. So uh, anything that's a duplicate or close to a duplicate, we'll probably kind of skip over because we had quite a few of these to uh, to get to. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to answer your questions, and hopefully, mm. um, hopefully, you like our answers. If you don't, I don't know what you can really do about it. Sorry, so, yeah, sorry. So email Greg at uh, bowhuntingfiend at gmail dot. Yeah. I don't even know if that's right. If it is, it's, though, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this first question comes from Mark Haslam. I wonder if you are any relationship to Jimmy Haslam, which was the defensive coordinator for the New Orleans Saints. That's I don't even know where that came from. Yeah, you're probably, you're probably I, not. I don't know what's going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark Haslam, thanks for writing in, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, this question is, wind discussion on swamps with flowing water. So I think what he really wants to know is from our experience, uh, what has... Um, what type of impact have swamps had, specifically swamps that have kind of a, a flow to them and then they're not just kind of stagnant cesspools? So like you're, the swamp, you're the swamp king. I've got some experience with flowing water. Most of the swamps that I've hunted typically have been pretty stagnant. Yeah. Um, but you, you hunt more kind of flow swamp states, yeah. if, you, if you will. Flow swamp states. Yeah, you like that, man? That got real technical real quick. Yeah. I could probably I don't write know what a, that means. I could probably write a book about yeah. that. Maybe do like a whole like uh, like uh, audio book. I could do an audio book, or I could probably even do like some type of like you know seminar or something. Yeah, that works. You know, some type of class. I could yeah. make swamp <laughs> swamp flow state class. Uh, flowing swamps is, you know, I mean, my 
dealing with flowing water would be more salt marsh. You know, you got the tidal, you know, things ripping in, in and out of small canals, but most, I guess, swamps are, that I hunt are, are stagnant, you know, mm-hmm. not even a creek going through. Uh, but any body of water will affect your thermal, mm-hmm. you know, depends on part of the day. It depends on when, when and where the sun's hitting it, not hitting it. Uh, so you have to be mindful of it. Um, water will, you know, pull thermals in the evening. Mm-hmm. You know, I know speaking from a, a salt marsh standpoint, like mud flats, you know, it's just baking mud. The last you, you, you catch it just right with the, the tide it completely will alter what the wind's doing. Yeah. You know, it's so strong because you got, you know, 500 yards of brown mud that's been baking in the sun all day. Heating up. Yep. It'll just literally blowing out of North. It'll pull it East. Mm-hmm. Like it's nothing. Yeah. You know, this is one of the things you got to just, you got to hunt it a few times, to figure out what it's going to do. You know, thermals will push and pull from water. Yeah. You know, it depends on the body. You could have a swamp that don't get touched by the sun. You know, you won't have much thermal pool there. You know, right. You know, there's a, or the sun hits it early, you'll get a thermal rise, you know, and yeah. in the evening, you know, the sun goes down behind some trees or something, or it's cool faster, will actually can change your thermal. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think the important thing to remember, I'm going to try to get this right here, is that flow swamp states, flow, <laughs> flow swamp states is, you know, w- warmth wants them to, to move to cold. Mm hmm. Right. So if you just think about that and understand like what area is warmer versus, mm. versus cooler, your, your thermal is going to draw, depending on how strong yeah. it is, you know, is going to move toward the cooler, the cooler air. Um, you know, I think everyone always looks for, um, and I'm not saying Mark's looking yeah. for this specifically, but a lot of times people want kind of like a concrete answer yeah, on how thermals work. And, they, and, and it's just, it's one of those things that you have to. Fake swamps will swirl because you got cold pockets where the sun's not hitting it. I mean, so it's, it's very area specific mm-hmm. and you have to spend time. Terrain specific that's around yeah. it, right? Because yeah. you can get some areas that are like mountaintop swamps. Yeah. So you have some terrain around yeah. that's going to change like the wind current, which is going to. The thermals are still going to have a, an impact, but it might impact it differently based on what the wind current is doing because it's yeah. working around terrain and vegetation or yeah. whatever the case is. Flowing water, though, specifically, again, you know, I can really only speak from like creeks. And, and, oh, I said Ooh. creek that time. Damn, dude. I'm getting all proper yeah. here. You know, I'm going to have to hold my pinky out when, yeah. I drink, when I drink my water now. Um, when I drink my water. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Don't insult Greg with his mispronunciation of water from New Jersey. Um, but I think the other thing to remember is just like if water is flowing and it's not always a hundred percent, but like you will often get the thermal pool that you will get from the water being maybe cooler than mm-hmm. the air, depending, especially if you've got like a mountain mountain stream or something yeah, like that, it's going to stay cold. Yeah. It's like, man, you can kind of, you can kind of bet that your thermal is going to move the direction yeah. of that. And then depending on how swift the water is or how deep the channel yeah. is that the water is running through. If it's a shallow channel, there's not really much change. It's like you might get some pool yeah. down the, the direction that the, that the, uh, um, the water is flowing. Yeah. It depends on your vegetation too. Yeah. You know, if there's rocks heating up on the stream, you know, there's a, a lot of, it's, it's a hard to answer without seeing the area you right. know, and but, actually but, hunting it. Right. But a, a general, like if I walk into an area, like the spot that I have, that's a, that's a creek bottom. It's like my assumption walking into it before I wind mapped it yeah. and wind checked it whenever I was there was that my thermals were going to naturally draw towards the stream because it was a, it's a mountain stream yeah. and that my wind 
outside of there being a consistent wind that went the opposite direction of the stream, if I'm close to that stream, I should get also just like a little bit of wind current yep. that wants to pull the direction that the stream is flowing. And that can and that yep. was, and that was true, yep. you know, but that's not to say that that's true in every case. Yep. It just happened to be so there, but I went in with that assumption, you yep. know? So I think you just walk into it going, what's, what are the, as I understand how thermals work, what, what's my starting point then? Yep. What is the logical thing that should happen? And then you kind of work from there yeah. to understand, well, what, what is really happening in this yeah, spot? And, and you can really only figure it out by being there. Yeah. And regarding thermals, big old deer live and die by thermals. Yes. Anybody that's been hunting a long time and it's killed a lot of big deer, they hunt them off winds because then their thermals is going to, you know, come into effect that last half hour or first, you know, half hour light. Yeah. So. And it's one of those spots where you're probably going to, if you have a good, if you have an area that has, you know, that's why, you know, a lot of dudes focus on, thermal hubs you know mm -hmm. and what do you usually find in those thermal hubs giant scrapes usually why because the deer have the advantage in the in in those areas and they can often scent check 360 degrees right and if you're in hill country it's a lot of times where ridges or drainages are yeah. all kind of multiple of them are dumping into one specific spot you know a guy like jake bush yeah. you know like he lives and dies yeah. i won't say lives and well he lives because yeah. the guy just kills big deer yes. nonstop. But that's he lives like, and deer dies. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. But like, and we've had him on the yeah. show. Super good dude, awesome hunter. Um, but he he focuses a lot on those because yeah. they just they produce. Yeah. You know, um, challenge is, is like when you find those areas, you oftentimes can't hunt them. So when yeah. you find a spot that is like that, if you can get the thermal advantage that a deer doesn't know that you're yeah. there, that becomes dynamite yeah. spot to kill good deer because they're going to constantly feel like they are in the in the advantage column yeah. when they really are not and so you're really able to cheat the wind at a yeah. supreme level so mm. i think we covered the old wind cheater wind cheater uh swamp something fl i flows to i don't remember what i said it was so ridiculous i don't even remember it all right so this next one um so jono wilbur 508 i don't know if that's jono or yono I don't know if that's if that J is silent or makes a Y sound. It might be Ono Wilbur. I'm like I'm totally saying your name wrong, but appreciate you writing. Excuse my friend, he's a little slow. <laughs> I'm having a hooked on phonics moment over here. I'm sorry. It's like Instagram handles are so hard to pronounce. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there should be like a whole like class on how to pronounce Instagram names. All right, so Yono Jono Ono has uh, wrote in and asks. <laughs> dry summers compared to wet summers fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are, discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So I'm thinking that they're they're really asking, like, do we see a difference? Um, Antler growth, deer movement. I think probably all the above. They're probably just wanting to know, like, do we see any kind of disparity in deer in general, in our hunting in general, in our approach in general? Right. You know, whether it's a dry versus a wet summer. I'll I'll start this one. I know in dry summers, just from years of fishing. When it's, there's drought, deer always by water. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's no little streams, 
you know, by me, it's, it's dry summers, all the swamps, you know, the, that are under a foot will dry up and deer will literally be forced to go to water, yep. you know, hunt water holes, like antelope basically. And heavy, wet, you know, summers, deer seem to be more dispersed in a normal pattern. Yeah. I, I think during, during the summer, I think you hit the nail on the head because I've been actually thinking of this a lot. I've been thinking about camera placements that I have right now yep. that are close to water and like looking forward to pulling them because I'm like, man, those should be dynamite, you know, right now because we have not had any yep. meaningful rain in a while. And so anything close to water should be good for inventory. Yes. How it plays out when you get into hunting season, who knows? Because if you start yep. to get those like fall rains and stuff like that, it, it, yep. it changes it, of course, but. You know, it, it can really kind of narrow down if you're a guy like me who doesn't have a ton of food inventory spots, you know, on, on the public that I hunt, all of a sudden the water becomes really, really yes. valuable as an inventory spot, yep. you know, and I don't wouldn't go as far as to say that I would make my hunt plans around that necessarily. Yep. Unless your season starts September, you know, September like 1st mine or does, yep. you know, and like, yeah, early yep. for sure. I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking at that as yep. you get into October. Likely probably got a little bit of rain, yeah. probably less, uh, less, you know, uh, less critical, but yeah, definitely for those early openers, yes. it's, it's a, it's a player, but you know, if you're in a boat like me, um, public land, not a lot of food around you, like destination food sources to hang a camera on for inventory. Yeah. Even in the mountains, if you got, you know, in a place, hill country, you got a you know, lake up top, you're or a small pond, you're going to get activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know Aaron Hepler too, even likes like little like logging road yes. areas that are just like deep tracks of like yep. uh, heavy equipment to have come yep. through that maybe isn't out directly in the sun that maybe is under a little yep. bit of shade. that always seems to hold just like a little bit of yep. water, you Especially know, if near, you know, some type of food source, they're definitely going to hit it up. Yeah. So anything like that, I mean, all of a sudden like a mud puddle yep. becomes a, a player, yes. you know, um, so th- those are our thoughts on that. Hopefully we, uh, hopefully we answered your question and give you some, some direction there. Um, this next person is dead on approach outdoors. I could read that one. It was all one word yeah. though, which made it kind of hard. I was, imagine if I read it like D and, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like that, whatever that skit is like D nice and yeah. Balake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I read every name, yeah. every name like that, it'd be awful. Um, all right. So, uh, did on approach outdoors. Thanks for writing in. Um, so this person is asking preseason tips such as entry setups, mineral and trail camera sets. So, and if you want, you took the first two first, you want me to preseason? I'm assuming he's talking, I guess, right before the season opener. Um, or is it more like early summer preseason? What do you think? Um, because he's asking, I would say like on the cusp of like, I would say probably like now into like August or August into September, depending say, on when his a, opener say is. Say the question again. Let's Preseason again. tips such as entry setups, mineral and truck camera sets. And because he mentions mineral, I yeah. assume it's more like true summer yeah. type of preseason. But like entry, I guess maybe he's thinking of entry to and from areas. Uh, I don't run much minerals, so yeah, I'll just either. use the the entry for the preseason as you're getting ready. Ready. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of what I was Your thinking. Your entry is just as important as your exit. Um, if you have a terrible entry um, that is going to be on you and the game is over even before you got a chance to even get a shot at a deer. Mm-hmm. So your entry is important, be it you know, September or January. 
super critical that you know you can get in and out of woods without bumping deer. If you're bumping deer, your entry slash exit's terrible, and you need to make some adjustments, or you're just fighting a losing battle. Yeah. No, agree. Um, I don't really use any mineral cant on public and PA if I'm not in the federal. I think international yeah, something, can. but I don't. I don't run any regardless. I'll let you speak on the trail camera since you're the guy. <laughs> but one thing to add on the entry exit thing, yeah. um, and this is something again that I've picked up from you and started doing a lot of, especially on really hard to kind of reach places. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit of a scout as I actually go in and I and I do map mm-hmm. my my. Uh, my entry and my exit yes. in advance of the season. So I will do that breadcrumb style. Yeah. It, like last year. Now I know it this year cause I, I mapped it two different times last year and I've scouted it yep. a handful of times and I, and I hunted it two times I yep. think last year. And so I now know yep. kind of knew my route, but last year it was brand new to yep. me. So I literally went in this time of year now when it's thick as it's going to yep. be and was like, I needed to get in quiet and, and not, you know, and not bumble around yeah. and be able to get there quickly and not be jogging left yeah. and right all over the place. And so I literally went in once, mapped it, you know, through all the thick stuff yeah. in like July. And then I went back like sometime in mid August and did one like um, super early morning. So yeah. it wasn't like completely dark out because yeah. I wouldn't get, I wasn't getting up that early if I didn't have to. <laughs> but I went in like where I really dedicated. Yeah. Not that dedicated. <laughs> went in whenever I wasn't going to be able to see really yeah. well. So I could kind of try to feel my way through. It's like, I couldn't, I, I needed just a little bit of headlamp yep. light. I didn't need like it. It wasn't uh, it wasn't daylight, but it was it was darker than green yep. light. We'll put it that way. And I did that purposefully so I could kind of walk my way into that spot in something that yep. felt like a hunting scenario. So I understood if I can't see real yep. well, can I get through here quietly yep. still, or do I need to change something? So that's one thing that I definitely would do. Um, that's an underrated. Speaking of gray light, like that's an underrated tactic that I love walking in in gray light, man. Like if, I, I'm less. I'm less. I'm less OCD about beating daylight into a spot than I used to be. And if you time your walk, I mean, your entry, say you got a, a mile walk or three quarter of a mile, you want to hit that gray light, say a hundred yards for your stand, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes you could be right there with the deer, you know, and if you slowly still hunt your way to that last hundred yards, you can see something you didn't see before, you know, right. or get a shot at a deer. Yeah. I like to use that gray light kind of walk in on areas that, I'm comfortable with maybe know a little bit about, but I'm not a hundred percent sold on the spot that I'm kind of planning to go to. And if I find something interesting along my way, I could easily just completely change my plan for that day and go somewhere else. Right. And so I like to do that for that. If it's a spot again, Greg and I talk a lot about hunting dates. If I know a spot and it's that date, I'm going, I'm going there. So I'm getting there before gray light. Cause I know I just need, I need to be there. But if it's an area that I'm kind of like, I'm still kind of learning or figuring out, I'm totally cool with going in with a little bit of gray light so I can kind of see, make sure I'm not kicking anything up. And also, oh man, there's a huge rub I didn't see there before. Oh, there's mm-hmm. two more. Well, let's see where that rub line goes. That might be the ticket for yeah. that day. Minerals, don't use them. Um, setups, I try my best to pick out trees in advance. Um, I'm not the best at that, to be honest, to be I, honest with you. I know. Yeah, Greg knows. He was with me and I <laughs> I, I'll find a spot, get all excited and I'll leave and I'll get back to my truck and be like, damn, I didn't pick out any trees, yeah. you know, um, which happens to me often, but yeah, you should totally be picking, picking out trees. You, sh- I, one thing I do do that I picked up from you as well. And, and I used of, to do this. Picked up a lot of bad habits from here. <laughs> no. Yeah. No shit, dude. I need to spend less time with you. Apparently. Um, is, you know, 
I used to always kind of check the wind when I was when I was there, but now I check it and think about is it huntable from every direction based on where I think the deer are going to yeah. come from. Even if I don't know where the deer are going to come from, I try to hypothesize like if I were yeah. a deer looking at the map, where would I come from in the morning? Where would I be coming yeah. from in the evening? And try to understand, you know, what winds could I actually yeah. hunt there? And then I start wind mapping the spot yeah. with milkweed. And, that, and every time I go back, I do that. That way I can kind of get a sense of like if it's north, west, east, south, whatever the case is, I have a general idea of what's happening. As far as trail camera sets, for preseason, you're just gathering inventory. If you're scrapes, like me, scrapes, yeah. find scrapes, field edges. Yeah. And if you don't have field edges like me, I prioritize almost everything on finding primary scrapes or what looks to be good scrapes. Um, and I will, I will throw flyers out there to, if I just get a gut feeling on a spot. Now it's different if you have a lot of cameras versus not a lot of cameras, right? Like, so, I'm always a quality over quantity. I'd rather have five cameras placed in really good spots than 20 of them with, with two of them in really good spots. Mm -hmm. I do have the luxury of having quite a few cameras. So I have cameras to burn to where I will just throw cameras up in a spot whenever I get like a spidey sense, be like, Hmm, there's not shit here telling me that there'd be deer here, but I just feel like there would be. And so I'll put a camera up, yeah. you know what I mean? But by and large, if you're, if you're somewhat limited, you know, primary scrapes and things like that to get inventory field edges. If you have, or just edge in general, Yes, you know, if you have just look for a sign, like yeah. if you have a bunch of tracks or a beat down and, trail and, and preseason bucks have antlers and velvet. They don't like going through a thick, nasty stuff. Yep. They will avoid it. They'll stick to a little more ease of walking areas. So yeah, don't put your cameras in the thick stuff. Yeah. Last thing, run on video mode as often as you can. Yes. Like that's the one big thing for me. I run as many cameras as I can on video mode. Um, and uh, you learn a lot. You, you learn a ton about their, just their behavior. You start to learn a little bit about their pecking order when you have multiple bucks in an area. And their entrance. Like uh, that's the biggest thing for me is like where they, how they getting in and out of yep, that spot. I had spot last year. I thought where the bucks were coming in there and I, you know, I end up changing out the camera. I think middle of October to video mode. First time I ever running really on video mode, and I'm like, wow, I was not even close. Right. By the time the buck came in and tripped the camera, he was facing this way, but they were actually coming in from the other way, and he was actually kind of coming into the scrape. So I'm thinking they're coming from the right, but they were actually coming from the left. But the video mode kicked in when he came in. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, okay. There you go. Wrong. Yep. <laughs> Wrong. I don't know how many times it's happened <laughs> yeah. to me where I've had pictures and I've actually, yeah. I watched them in a, on video later and was like, I put a camera there or change it to video mode. And I was like, yeah, I was completely yeah. wrong. Like they were not even close, not even close, completely wrong yeah. win. Like for, for a year and a half, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, all right. So I think we've covered that one pretty well. Um, this next one is Justin Ank. I think I said your name, name correctly. Appreciate the question, Justin. Um, he's asking how to juggle limited time to hunt versus scout versus checking trail cameras for weekend warriors. So you want me to take a swing at this one first? Um, See if I can one up you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so hunt versus scout. I mean, I think if you have limited time, um, I'm a regular guy like everybody else. So I, I also have limited time. So what I try to do is I try to make sure that I get a ton of my like learning and Intel gathering done during March, April, May, or February, March, and April in, into May, because 
I want to try to focus on hunting as much as I can when the fall yeah. comes. Now, I scout my way into places, yeah. and I will take a day if I'm getting kind of baffled yeah. and I'm, I'm feeling like I'm just kind of out of the game. I will kind of just like scout a day or even like two days or whatever, or scout. And if I find something, I'll set yeah. up. I always kind of say like, if you have to prioritize one or the other scout more than you hunt, yeah. like if you're trying to do it in the same season, like if yeah. you're saying like, I can, I'm really just doing this in October, November yeah. or whatever, then I would say I would scout two to three days to every day that you actually hunt. Um, I know that that's a hard pill to swallow cause you really just want to be, uh, trying to kill something. But at the end of the day, like when you're scouting, you're still hunting, like just be yeah. still hunting, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of, kind of my approach, um, versus trekking trail cameras during season and i'm assuming he's kind of more so yeah. talking about during season i'm really only checking trail cameras uh, whenever i'm hunting near them yes you know, by and large now don't go out of your way to check them yeah unless it's november 1st and then for me like i learned that from johnny all bets are off once november 1st is get in the area because they're going to be there for three days if you check a camera that bucks there you're hunting there and you're ready to hunt right then and there. right then and there yeah, yeah. um the other thing is too, is like, even like out of season, like now what helps me in terms of checking trail cameras. So we'll back out and go to like preseason for this is like, and it's not necessarily feasible for everybody. And, and that, and that's fine. But if you can, I try to run as many, um, cell cameras as I can on hard to reach places or priority spots that I want to stay mm-hmm. out of because it just saves me on trail camera checking time, you know? So instead of having to check 15 or 16, I may only have to check 10. Yeah. And what I try to do is I try to prioritize those cell ones for the hard to reach spots. That way those 10 that I do need to check, I can get to them all in like a day or yes. whatever and just make it a little bit, a uh, little bit more efficient. But I mean, for the weekend warriors, man, it, it's hard. It's tough. It, it takes just a lot of kind of um, plan, planning, you know, and, and just recognize like you're never going to get it all done and just, and be okay yeah. and be okay with that. And, and I, I think that's really my two yes. cents. That's I agree with all that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to add. No, that's pretty good. Pretty yeah, that's pretty good. All right, yeah. cool. Yeah. Man, I got an A from the teacher on that yeah. one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> this next one is Jeff VN, but I'm going to refer to him as Jeff Vn. You know, <laughs> just stop. <laughs> Jeff, thanks for the question, man. Uh, is a good evening spot also a good morning spot, but with the opposite wind? No. Um, depends on the area, but in my box, will Usually, I mean, from a, a marsh standpoint, they will usually come in one way and exit another way. Mm-hmm. Um, as they're in the evening, the thermals can plan, you know, play in their exit strategy. And in the big woods, different bedding areas, um, I've had them come in to a thicket and come out the thicket the same way. Mm-hmm. I've had them not. So I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I think off, I think often, morning spots aren't necessarily great evening spots just in in general there's a reason why they're coming through there yeah. in the morning you know and like you mentioned where yeah. they're bedding they often leave in a direction from yeah. their bed where if wherever it is they want to go next or, you know if the, yeah exactly if the if the if the wind changes throughout yeah. the day or but if there's something that's forcing them say you're he's bedding in a fence line and there's really a there are circumstances yeah. right, that's going to that's going to force a, con, a consistency yeah it's like know? all right or there's a a draw in a, in a field odds are, you know, a low point in the field or, or something. He's probably going to come in and out right there. Or if you have like a predominant funnel yes. or something like that, that is a pinch that all the deer have to kind of make their way yes. through, or they got to go out of their way to avoid it or yes. whatever the case is. There are circumstances, but yes. if you were going to, if I, if, if 
you're if this question is just in in general yeah you know is morning or evening spots or they could they be the same well they could be but you got to have a lot of things stack up in yes. your favor and so when you look at a place your odds are one is going to be better than the other yeah it's not to say that you won't see bucks yes. or deer either time it's yeah. just typically one will be better than the other yeah and it could be the question is if it's buck related you know or doe related you know i guess because they're different creatures really you know a herd of does is a lot different than a singular old mature buck Right, right. Yeah, you probably get more consistency with the, with the does yeah. for for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, we're always kind of assuming we're talking about bucks. Yeah. But So I think we answered that one pretty well. Um, we're going to go on to the next one. This is from Galen Swigart. I actually know Galen. So what's up, Galen? Thanks for sending this in. Got your name right. I know that one, too. <laughs> so, about time. Probably the only <laughs> one I got right. Uh, Galen's asking, 2022 uh, gear rundown saddle sticks pack etc you can go first you have a title sponsor on this <laughs> so i'll let you go first so i mean the gear that I, it's it's not really changing like the past two years i haven't changed a whole lot in terms of what i'm in terms of what i'm using i mean as far as like maps and stuff like that go i mean there's a bunch of different solutions out there i use spartan forge for that um for saddles and stuff like that i use i'm still using the first generation uh tethered phantom saddle i didn't haven't changed since i know they've had some upgrades since then which are killer i just have this one dialed in and so there's no need for me to change to the newest one just just because it's like this one works for me and i have it set the way i want it and so i'm good to go in that regard um sticks i use the tethered one sticks um and i want i climb with one stick um so one sticking with a one stick one sticking with a one stick yeah yeah um, you know, for me, there's a lot of great stick solutions out there. They've got the Skeletors too, which yeah. I have a set of, which I've, I've, I've hung before, um, which are a good kind of price point option, but I prefer the one stick only because it's stupid light. If I'm one sticking with it and the whole idea is to reduce bulk and reduce weight with one sticking, then I'm going to use the lightest mm. stick that I possibly can. Um, so it works, it works well for me. And, you know, some people like with their one stick to have the cam cleat yeah. and stuff like that for me the the uh, attachment uh, system for the one sticks don't bother me like i'm able to use them just fine uh, i know they have gen 2 ones that just came out i don't think that they may still have some on their site but everything they have usually goes pretty quickly when they get stuff in but so that's what i'm using for that pack this year a little bit on the fence um mm, yeah last year i used a sitka pack i was hoping to have a, a new pack from some friends of mine, which isn't going to happen at this, uh, this hunting season, but I'm looking forward to when that does happen. Um, so there's a, a friend of mine, um, owns, owns a company, I believe it's JX three, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he sent me a pack of his last year to check out and it's a, and it's a super cool pack. It's kind of, it's, it's actually built to fit some of the stuff that he has, uh, some of the, some of the other gear that he has, and it's really kind of a full contained system with like a, a bino bivy and yeah. stuff like that. But for me, I took the bivy off and I'm just considering running it as a pack. I did a test run with it last year to make sure I could fit like my camera gear and everything yeah. I needed into it. And I was able to kind of fit and it forced me to get rid of some shit that I wasn't yeah. using and made me kind of pare things down. Um, so I'm using, so I'm probably going to try to use that this year. Um, cause it's really kind of a small sleek, you know, if you're not carrying a whole lot yeah. of stuff, it can work for you. If you're a person who likes to carry a bunch of stuff, it's probably not going to be in the cards for you. Um, so I'm going to use that for a pack. Um, ring of steps. Yes. Yeah. Ring of steps. So I kind of switch back and forth. Like I'll use, 
there's one tree in particular that I need to use the predator platform because it's so jacked up that my ring, I can't get the ring of steps to set. Yes. Like the trees angled and you don't get trees angled. And where I need to set up, there's a freaking huge branch, Yeah, you know what I mean? And so I can't really ever walk around. So that one I'll use the predator predator platform for. Um, so I kind of go back and forth, but I started using uh, a ring of steps for a lot of hunts last year. It was something Greg turned me on to. Um, and I really liked it just from that turned you on a lot, huh? Yeah. You, you turn me on Greg, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like it's get weird here, you know, <laughs> the, uh, but no, I did start using that last year under your advisement. Cause you really, you really liked it and, you know, suggested I check it out. So I started doing that and I hunted a lot with that last year and it was actually really handy whenever I was in, uh, in Kansas. I know tethers are going to have their carbon platform. It's going to come out soon. So I'm stoked to check that out. Um, whenever that, uh, when I get that in my hands, but this year it'll be, again, it'll just be a combination based on if I, if I'm just walking in somewhere, I'm probably using the ROS. If I know where I'm going and I know it's going to be a bitch of a tree, I'll take my predator platform and use it on that. Um, and that's really kind of my rundown. I got a bunch of stuff for like Western hunting that, you know, like an XO pack and some sleeping bags and actually just got a new bow. So yeah, yeah, I, I got that. The, uh, Hoyt Carbon Fiber RX7. Picked that up at uh, my buddy uh, Bob and AJ's shop um, that, that, that's near me. I shot it. I talked about it in a previous podcast very briefly. Killer bow, shot really well, and uh, that was all she wrote. And then MMT arrows from Exodus. So I'm shooting those. So switched up arrows. Still using the same afflicted broadheads as I shot last year. Um, but by and large, my saddle gear and that stuff remained the same. Bow changed. Arrows changed. Um, and that's it, man. So. That's what, that's what I'm using. It's a lot. It's a tough act to follow right there. Uh, I'm a gear nerd, so I yeah. know my gear. I'm like, I got this. It's got a widget on it. Yeah. And uh, you want me to talk about the carabiners I'm using? <laughs> so I, I'm running the Latitude Method 2, two-panel saddle, um, ring of steps. Um, I have the Timber Ninja sticks, Latitude's going to be coming out a few other items. Um, that I should have my hands on before the season starts. Hopefully all goes well, but, um, Ozio camo, they sent me a bunch of gear to go through and I like it. It's mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh, pack wise, I have a Badlands super day, uh, which I've had forever. I'm comfortable using it. Um, Ozio, they sent a, sent me a backpack. It's large. Mm-hmm. I can fit a lot of stuff in it. Smuggle some small children, probably. Nice. Um, It'd be good for the rut hunts, all day sits, because I can pack a lot of stuff and I like to eat when I'm doing all day sits. (laughs) Uh, But same bow I had. uh, I don't have the luxuries that's Clint over here. Um, Stop it. I got Bowtech Carbon Icon, uh, Radical Archery Designs, Broadheads. Uh, Yeah, not much, you know, pretty much running ring steps. Um, hopefully I have the new latitude, latitude platform here shortly, but, um, I like to run the same stuff for I try, a few years. I try to, too. I'm, not, a, I'm not as techie and, and I don't want stick or anything like that. Uh, I use four sticks, you know, with an eight or mm-hmm. and it gets me up. I got a nice stride so I can get up, you know, 20, yeah. 22 feet. You get long ass legs. Yeah. 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 I mean, I try to stay from year to year as as consistent as I can, like my saddle, like my specific kind of saddle rig hasn't changed much in Mm -mm. like two years. You know, I 
other than adding in the ROS. Yeah. Like that's the only that's the only thing I really kind of added into that whole and that whole rig. I'm just it's not necessarily that I'm cheap, but I guess I'm kind of cheap. But I mean, I ran the same stuff for years. It's I'm comfortable using it. If I'm com- if I get really comfortable, I'm like I like this setup. I don't change it for nothing. It, you know, it, it, becomes, it requires a lot. Either it's deteriorating and falling apart, mm-hmm. or it's like it's failing me to point which caused me to miss deer, you know, right. or, or something. For me, it's I will change if there's something that's clearly going to work better. Like that's the that's the one thing that I will I will change, and I have to like it's got to be. It either needs a bit need to be a big advantage for me that I feel like I'm gaining. Mm-hmm. Or it's got to be a really, really easy adoption. Yes. Like those are the two things. So like, for example, like one sticking when I adopted that two years ago yeah. or whatever it was, like that was a little bit of a learning curve, but I did not want to have to carry anything more than I needed to. Yeah. And I was like, man, any tree I want to hunt super light and not bulky, like I'll dedicate the time to get good at yeah. this because it's, it fits how I like yes. to hunt. The new bow this year was more, I shot it. And as soon as I shot it, I was it felt like the bow I should be shooting. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it's something to be said whenever I've been shooting this, I was shooting my Matthews for two years yeah. and I picked up this new bow. And you it, shot a bunch of bows last year and you, none of them. I, I didn't buy, I didn't get any new bows yeah. last year. I shot like five different bows yeah. last year. And like there, I walked away going, eh, at the end of the day, like one or two of them might be marginally better yeah. than the bow I currently have, but not enough to make me want to change. Yeah. This one was, I picked up a bow that, immediately felt better than the yeah. bow that I had been shooting had been shooting and was comfortable with yeah. for two years. I was like, okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. This is like an easy adoption. It's not going to take me any time at all. And when I was sighting it in, I was dropping dimes at 60 yards as I was sighting in my sight tape. So I was like, all right, yeah, done. So, so, all right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.